Bernstein Research forecasts that the U.S. retail market for marijuana will grow to approximately $40 billion per year, assuming legalization in all 50 states. And that's up roughly double from where it is today. That's one of the reasons why the excitement around pot stocks continues to grow, but we think investors should hold out for clarity amid the haze. Welcome to Bernstein Insights, and this is The Pulse, where we cover trends in the economy, markets, and asset allocation for long-term investors. I'm Matt Palazzolo, Senior Portfolio Manager, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Senior Portfolio Manager, Moira McLaughlin. Moira, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I mentioned the run-up and the excitement in cannabis-related stocks last year. Then they sold off. Now they're up again. What's driving all of this excitement? Well, there's a huge amount of hype. A lot of it was sparked by full legalization at the federal level in Canada last year. Dozens of U.S. states are liberalizing laws, and there's speculation that it's only a matter of time before we see full legalization of marijuana in the U.S. We had M&A speculation involving large beverage and tobacco companies, and we did see a couple of deals come through. All of that contributed. Let's be clear that we're not on this podcast or as a firm taking a position on the merits of broader legalization, but more we want to talk about the investment case for marijuana stocks. So how do we determine whether or not they are a viable opportunity? Well, it's true that our opinion on the pros and cons of broader legalization is largely irrelevant. But from an investment perspective, the ultimate size of the legal market really matters. And so does the timeline for getting there. All of that is is critical to really dimensioning demand. And the bull case rests largely on significant demand growth, both for medicinal and recreational use. Currently, 29 countries, 34 states in the U.S. sanction medicinal use and Marijuana is fully legal in 10 other states plus D.C. So you mentioned medical use and recreational use. Let's take those in turn. Let's first talk about medical use and how we think about that as investors and analysts. Well, look, trying to gauge the size of the medicinal market is pure guesswork. The estimates are all over the map. There are a lot of indications that it can be helpful for people suffering from a range of conditions or illnesses. Think chronic pain, cancer, glaucoma multiple sclerosis. But the federal ban imposes severe restrictions on testing. And as a result, the states that have approved medicinal use have done it through the legislative process rather than a scientific process. The other side, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe the larger opportunity is the recreational use. I think most of the speculation centers on legal, broad-based recreational use across the United States. How big is that opportunity if we look out several years? Yeah, I think people in the sort of short to medium term do think that's the bigger opportunity. Uh, And it really rests on the size of that opportunity really rests on how much demand migrates from the illicit market to the legal one. And there's a lot of uncertainty around that because we don't know how the legal tax and regulatory framework is going to develop. Is there anything that we can take away from Canada or Colorado that have had laws in place for some time in the marijuana-related field? Well, first, in places that have first legalized medicinal use and then recreational or as industry insiders, they prefer to call that adult use, Mm -hmm. um, what we tend to see is a significant portion of the medical market migrating to the recreational market. Hmm. So so allegedly medicinal, right, moving over to the recreational market. So that's been a question or a case of demand shifting rather than actually growing. 
Then in terms of migration from the illicit to the legal market, the price point obviously has a pretty significant impact. Prices in the legal market include a 25 to 40 percent markup for taxes, and that has an impact certainly on many buyers. In Canada, and I think most of the U.S. states where it is legal, the after-tax price of legal marijuana is still higher than the black market, and that that slows migration. Mm -hmm. So obviously, there's a lot of cross-currents that will ultimately determine the size of the legal marijuana market in the United States. Let me just restate that figure that our research team has determined from the top of the show. We estimate that in the future, the legal marijuana market will grow to roughly $40 billion a year, and that's up roughly double from where it is today. I guess, Moira, give us a sense for $40 billion. Give us the size of some other markets, just so we know it makes it a little bit tangible for our listeners. And then also, what would you say or what do you say to investors that are lured by that potential size and that growth over a number of years? Right. Well, in terms of size, $40 billion is about midway between the size of the spirits market and the wine market okay. here in the U.S., about a little bit less than half the size of annual tobacco sales. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then in terms of the allure of the demand side, I think it's important to keep in mind a number of the points that we discussed last year when I was on your show, when we talked about investing in disruption. A lot of those points apply. The path to profitability really matters. Sizing demand is just one part of the story. The other side of the equation is supply. We've got a highly fragmented market here in the U.S. In many states, especially out west, there are a huge number of licenses that have been issued that's contributed to oversupply. Uh, And we've got a lot of hobbyists that have sort of jumped into the sector, and undoubtedly many of them will be shaken out over time. That sounds a lot like the wine market, right? Highly fragmented relative to other markets. And I know the um, beer market is not highly fragmented. That's exactly right. Absolutely. And as a result, the profitability of the beer market, which has gone through decades of consolidation versus the wine market is very, very different. Different in that the beer market is more profitable. So margins are higher relative to the wine market where there's a lot more fragmentation and margins are lower. Absolutely. Good point. I guess as we look at Canada, again, to go back to Canada, they've had this jump on legalization. Is there any trends or any takeaways that we can garner from them? Well, there's a lot we could say about that. I think the most important difference is that legalization at the federal level in Canada means that producers can access public markets, and they've had a huge leg up on raising capital. They are trying to scale up very quickly to lock down the first mover advantage, and they're hoping to maintain and expand on that head start that they're enjoying now. And that's why most, if not all, of the publicly traded stocks that are in this business, they are domiciled or trade in Canada. That's right. That's right. Longer term, there are questions around the dominance that they're enjoying right now. Will they eventually be displaced by growers from tropical countries that have lower production costs as laws evolve in other countries? Or will companies in the U.S. with a home team advantage end up displacing them? So, Moira, let's just take a step back. We've covered a lot of ground. To be clear, that $40 billion number that we have out there, there's also numbers all over the map in terms of estimates from others. And so... We shouldn't imply that that's necessarily where it might get to. It might be meaningfully higher or meaningfully lower. But as we, again, as analysts and investors, if we think about the types of companies that are best positioned over the next five to 10 years to take advantage of any growth that does occur, what types of 
companies are there? I mean, is it the growers of marijuana? Is it the marketers? Is it the retail distributors? How do we think about the supply chain and who wins and who loses? So as in most industries, vertically integrated companies, and here that would be the growers that have marketing distribution and a retail presence, those are the ones that are best positioned to capture the lion's share of industry profit. So those are the companies, just to be clear, those are the companies that do it all. That's right. Okay. That's right. And the profitability of the overall industry will depend on how it's ultimately structured. Talked about beer, right? The beer industry is highly concentrated. There's Mm -hmm. been a huge amount of consolidation over really the course of a couple of decades now. And as a result, it is very profitable. In contrast, the wine industry is highly fragmented. That means there's a lot of different operators, lots of players in the space, a lot of hobbyists, as I mentioned before, maybe less focused on profitability. And that has an impact on overall industry profitability. So why is that? What role does the legalization at the state level versus the federal level play in all of that? Well, that's a really important part of it. We've got a patchwork of regulatory rules and requirements and, of course, a lack of legal status at the federal level. So that means you can't have an integrated national business. And that's what's really required for optimal scale, which would ultimately maximize profitability. So where it sounds like even the first movers that are well-established now in this early-stage industry will still face an uphill climb to profitability. Absolutely. Okay. Moira, before we close, let's talk a little bit about valuation. Because, you know, if we look back last year, anything associated with the cannabis industry, any publicly traded stocks, garnered a lot of investor attention They did really well for the first nine months or so. They sold off when the market went down in the fourth quarter, and now they've come back and are largely doing better than the market in 2019. So that volatility is akin to a lot of early stage industries when um, they're first getting a lot of attention from investors. How do we think about the potential for the stocks over the intermediate term? Well, One way of looking at early stage high growth companies that have not yet broken a profit is price to sales. Uh, Most of the listed cannabis stocks are trading in excess of 100 times price to sales. And that compares to the S&P 500, which is trading at a little over two times price to sales. Let's just take that again. The S&P 500, you're saying, is trading at a valuation multiple, the expensiveness or inexpensiveness of two times sales for those 500 companies? Exactly. And the cannabis companies on average are trading at what? Over 100 times. Well over 100 times. Over 100 times. So a big premium. But I guess, isn't it fair, though, that investors are assuming that that sales growth over some five to 10-year period will be well in excess of what the sales growth will be for those 500 companies in the S&P. I think that's a fair assumption. But at this point, um, investors are really pricing in both extraordinary growth and extraordinary profitability. And in our view, that really overestimates the earnings prospects for these companies while underestimating the risks. Look, we know that investors tend to overestimate growth potential of new industries in the short term and that they also overestimate their ability to pick the winners. The legal marijuana market is in its infancy. There's definitely growth potential there, but we think it's important to see how legislative changes impact industry economics and how profitable the industry will be and also get a little more visibility on which players will ultimately survive. I think that last point is really important, particularly for uh, nascent industries. The whole framework around legalization and the law 
and regulations is unknown, particularly for this one in particular. And that just adds an incremental, not insignificant at all, element of risk into buying or considering investment in any of these companies. Agreed. Absolutely. So, Moira, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much for all of your insights. Obviously, this is a topic that will continue to generate a lot of excitement amongst investors and our clients and our listeners. So we'll probably have you back to share more of your thoughts on the industry. But uh, thanks very much for joining us today. My pleasure. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us on iTunes or on your podcast service of choice. And if you have any feedback or ideas, please email us at insights at Bernstein.com or find us on Twitter at Bernstein PWM. Thanks very much, everybody. Bernstein, making money meaningful for individuals, families, and foundations for over 50 years. Visit us at Bernstein.com.